Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hello, everybody. It's your badass Pegasus riding lady warrior bruiser Holden McNeely. And I'm your sexy child. Not really. I'm ancient. I'm a thousand years old, but I'm also a sexy child bruiser. I'm the bruiser this week, Jake. Whoops. I'm too busy being technically legal. <laughs> All right. Why don't we start? Oh, this no. Way? My bikini top fell off. It's, Tee hee. Don't worry. This isn't a crime. It's all. I'm in the studio. He's the bikini is still on. OK, ladies and gentlemen, do not get alarmed. I possess the blood of dragons. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Today's episode is on Fire Emblem. I don't know why I'm doing what? it. What? No. Uh, emblem, your spirit shall shine across the generations now and for all time. Fire Emblem, heroes bringing us hope's light journey from distant worlds to still the coming night. With sacred relics at your side, see old champions fall from on high. In this land where timeless heroes live and their legends never die. Fire and... Oh, everybody hold in. Fire Fire emblem emblem is a song I do not know. (laughs) Everybody also, I just want you to know, this episode is actually Patreon uh supported this is from for ethan thins thank you so much ethan for your patronage and also for predicting knowing deep in your heart and soul the fire emblem would somehow become the talk of the town (laughs) in gaming at this weird point in the gaming year the dead middle of summer essentially right before games start like coming out like crazy again It, it dropped at the perfect time I love how much everyone's talking about it. People can't stop talking about war Hogwarts. <laughs> it's well, like Hogwarts, but for fucking up nations. I mean, it really, I, I have been playing it um, uh, quite a bit since I got it the other day. I absolutely love it. It is so well done. Hold on, I gotta ask. Black Eagles? Black Eagles, Blue baby. Lions? Black Eagles, baby. No. Yep. I went with the Black Eagles. Um, essentially, what I'm doing right now is, you know, one of the first things I did, 
I have to make an admission. I almost never pick a female as my protagonist. I'm trying to change my ways and, and role play in different ways, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, why do I always have to pick the dude? So I picked the lady. And then I see these three characters. You've got, like, the nobles, the, like, rich guy, kind of whatever with the, with the uh, what are they, the yellow, the golden. Oh, no. You, oh, are you talking about, like, the, uh, just the dashing? Yeah. Almost. Nay, erotically, vaguely ethnic, uh, Golden Stag guy. Yeah, exactly. It's Claude. like Claude. I think he's Claude, or is the other guy, guy Claude? And then I, I saw know. this other dude, and he's just like this boring. I am like, Prince Friedrich of the Holy Knight. Yeah, which I was like, cool, you know, whatever. And then I saw this like beautiful lady who is like super imperialist, and uh, she's like a badass. And I'm like, well, I'm this lady. And then I realized like. In her team, by the way, she has, I think the real draw for me for the black, uh, is it Eagles? The black Eagles mm-hmm. is this super like shitty, you know, uh, ha- hair all rustled, shy, doesn't want to leave her room girl. Oh, you fell in love with the I fucking- I love her. Uh. And, and I was like, dude, th- she's great. This house is great. The house is also like a lot of ladies. And so right now. Bernadetta. I, you fell in love Bernadetta, with that's, shy I love Bernadetta. Bernadetta. I love that name too for her. Bernadetta Agoraphobic. Is so great. I will say Black Eagles also has my personal waifu, Dorothea, because <laughs> she wears a dumb cap just like me. Yeah, Dorothea is great. I really like also, Dorothea too. Also, she's flashing more cleavage than a goddamn Hooters convention. You know, there's a lot going on there. My The Yazo is not- on my <laughs> lady that I'm I'm playing as. And then I realized, I'm like, wait. Yeah, they're, they're, they didn't give you a slider. Like, okay, yeah. I'm all for it. I should have They didn't give slide. you a slider. Like, the, if you pick the female avatar, you're the, the Byleth is got gazungas. Yeah, she's got the gazungas. I named her Alexis. And, uh, and I'm playing, at, and I'm like, as I started forming my team, I'm like, you know what this is going to be? This is going to be this badass team of, like, lady warriors who are just, like, doing it for themselves, like, doing the thing. I'm definitely going to try to have a lesbian relationship with Edgelord. I can't say <laughs> – I can't read her name not as Edgelord. I believe it's, like, Ed – Edelgard. Edelgard. But I always just say Edgelord. I'm going to get together with Edgelord, and we're just going to be, like, the fucking most ass-kicking badass team of, like, lesbian warrior women, and I'm so excited about it. And, and by the way, there's also – um. A whole part of this game where you're like, it's like a chessboard mechanic. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know, you know, I don't even know. This is but the okay. fundamental thing that makes a fire emblem game. Fire emblem game is like almost secondary to teaching uh, your class, you're... going around, forming these relationships, gardening. There's fishing. There's uh, uh, so many different things. There's just like all all these, and I'm still getting introduced to mechanics. I'm like, my head is spinning. There's so much shit you can share a meal with somebody. The, the, tea time. Tea time. I haven't done tea time. I don't even, yeah. There's so much stuff in this game, and it's really d- scratching the persona itch. There's so oh, much it's persona so pers- influence. They personaed the hell out of Intensely, this game. Intensely, to the point where you have calen- a whole calendar. Uh, you know, that revolves a around school, a school year. Revolves around a school year. You know, you have social links. You have options for what you want to do that day. You also can look at what everyone else does on- is doing online, like what percentage of people are doing certain activities which again is very persona and i think that they took all the just the great things from persona to take outside of like fighting mechanics and uh pulled that into this already wonderfully established game and they're doing essentially what they did with the first game in the series that i fell in love with awakening where they're like you know what let's put all of our cards on the table let's just really try to make this incredible giant thing um and they are pulling it off like in such amazing style i i can't believe 
how much shit is going on in this game. It is crazy. Um, and I am playing with permadeath, which we will talk about. This is a fundamental part of the series. And uh, yeah, I, uh, uh, and that's a whole other element of challenge. I'm a little, I'm in a little bit of a rut right now. I'm a little frustrated. I thought I was about to be fine. Just now I was playing in the cab because I can't put it down uh, the, on the way here. And uh, But then I one of my characters died, so I had to start over. But either oh. way, um, I love this game. Uh, I love this series. And it's so weird to me how many games in this series came out. What are you doing? I opened up Fire Emblem Fates because oh. I wanted to double check which waifus I've collected. Gotcha. Or not uh, Fates, Heroes. Heroes. Gotcha. Yeah, oh, it's just so shocking to me how many Fire Emblem games have come out before I had ever even heard the words Fire Emblem. It's nuts. It's, well, that's the thing. It was always this, as a lifelong Nintendo fanboy, Fire Emblem was always this weird kind of just, I I don't know, like embarrassing black sheep in the family. Because, you know, the anime came out in America and it was like based on the Nintendo game that never made it out here. And you're like, wait, what? And and you'd see references every once in a while. And, uh, you know, famously it came to a head with Smash Brothers Melee. Yes. But even before that, there were just these whispers that like, oh, yeah, uh, Nintendo, uh, House of Mario, lovely, whatever. Um, no this ultra hard strategy game where, where anyone every- in it dies, <laughs> they die in real For- life and you just are <laughs> fucked. It's like goes completely against the whole Nintendo mantra of like easy and fun mm-hmm. for everyone, you know? Right. Uh, and yeah. This is before, you know, you have any understanding of the kind of bizarre second party uh, developers that kind of have been the backbone of Nintendo, even while you think everything is just built from Nintendo. And uh, it came to a head in Melee, where obviously it was Sakurai working for HAL Laboratories, the other weird second party Nintendo developer that basically is responsible for a million like core franchises for Nintendo, but technically doesn't work for Nintendo, boosting intelligent systems, which also turned out to be this amazing uh, Nintendo developer that wasn't technically working for Nintendo, but also was instrumental in its in its uh, development. And then there were just the off years, just the kind of wilderness years where there'd be GBA games and like GameCube games, and it was Roy and Ike, and like nothing ever broke through. And... Awakening just cracked it open. And I am, along with you, Holden, Waifu Emblem is my fire emblem. And I know there's so many hardcore people. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sure people listening right now are like active members of Serene's Forest, <laughs> like message boards, and can tell you the difference between the Falchion and the Durandal down to each subpixel. But it really was just like this crowd pleasing, anime as hell, social beautiful game that kind of won that kind of won me over yeah so well for me yeah so i i got really into awakening essentially what i did was i just literally googled best rpgs for the ds because i just got a 3ds i really wanted to like get back to those jrpgs that i had loved as a kid and fire emblem was on every list it was number one or number two was always like at the top and even though it didn't look like the type of game I was specifically looking for, which is more like a Bravely Default, I uh, I eventually picked it up, and it rem- I realized, oh, this is just like a different game 
that my college roommate made me play on Sega Genesis that I f- absolutely fell in love was with. Was that Shining Force? Shining Force 1 and 2. I beat them both in college. I loved those games, and it's very, very similar format. And by the way, if you don't know, I guess we should explain maybe fucking 10 minutes into the show what uh, the fighting, what like the battle mechanics are like. But uh, that's fundamental to Fire Emblem. It's like a big chessboard, essentially. You have all these different um, fighters on terrain, and you're positioning them and moving them around against another army and uh, trying to route the army, trying to beat the army. Um, and uh, your troops consist of these individual characters, each with, um, depending on which game you're playing, a million different considerations, such mm-hmm. as their movement, how, how far they can move in a turn, from what direction they can attack from. Yeah, their what- range. That, like, if, if you have a bow and arrow, you can hit someone from a couple spaces away. But if you're a melee person, you need to be right up next to them to hit them. So that is really where it gets interesting in terms of how you're moving the units around and positioning them. And you want to, you know, flank the army and do these different things. Um, in and, advanced yeah. levels of the game, there'll be, like, weird twists or, like, weird fuck-up things where, uh, you know, uh, your escape path is cut off or reinforcements will arrive or... You know, you kind of it keeps you on your toes, and you know, even within this basic chessboard scenario, there's all sorts of like kind of crazy, exciting things that can happen. With the bonus that your characters, if they fight alongside each other, grow like the bonds of like friendship and war, and they'll like do combo attacks, or they'll like uh, you know boost their social link. And then the weapons, the weapons triangle, and then there's the magic triangle, and there's. So many things to consider with each and every move of each and every character Yeah, that it is thrilling when things get executed perfectly as you imagine, and it is heartbreaking as there's just one fucking thing. Yeah. Or you know what it is? It's, um... You you you're like kind of stuck, but you're like also kind of impatient with the level. So you're like, well, as long as the bad guy doesn't do this one thing, right. I'm fine. And then you and then watch in horror as they do the one thing, yeah. and half your squad dies, and you have to reset. Or if you're or, like me, you play casual mode and you sleep at night just fine. But casual mode didn't even come into play really until Awakening, yeah. and uh, so. When, but but the thing with Awakening was that kicked it up a notch. We're talking about waifus and stuff. Is what you were talking about positional relationships, right? In Awakening, for the first time, you could have people fighting alongside each other so much that they fall in love with each other and they get married and they have a child because there is time travel in that game. And so they do a time jump and you get to have their children as adults fighting alongside them as well. And that was the extra layer that made me obsessed with Awakening. I loved it. And I became very attached to those characters. Add on top of that the permadeath aspect if you're not playing on casual mode. And man, I had some feelings (laughs) playing that game. Because what I would do is sometimes I would save scum. A lot of people play with permadeath, but if someone does die, they just sigh and restart their system and try the battle again. Well, sometimes if I felt like it was at a very epic moment and it was like a very like worthy death, I would let that character go because they give you enough characters to work with to build an army. So there were times, and man, the final fucking battle of Awakening for me Uh. was the most epic shit ever because, hey, it's the end of the game. I'm just going to let everyone die who dies. So like half my fucking army died, and it was amazing. It was like this emotional epic and that's why you play with permadeath like you don't play with permadeath just to give yourself a dickish challenge you play with permadeath because then it's like reading game of thrones mm. like major characters fucking die and it's like amazing and you you're like oh my god that's 
and, and it feels right. And you're like, that's when they should have died. And like, these are the ones we mourn. And when the credits rolled, they like showed like all the deaths in the arms, all the people that died. Like they like showed them all and gave them like a little send off. And it was amazing. And I just thought Awakening was incredible. And then to have this Three Houses game come out on Switch and have it be the talk of the town, I feel like Fire Emblem is finally truly getting the due that it deserves. And it's not just this thing that people complain about being way too much uh, in Smash Brothers, way too over-represented in Smash Brothers. So many goddamn sword boys. (laughs) I'm sick of the sword boys. I don't care. Stop. Stop adding the sword boys. For me, I'm like, oh, cool. Marth's in this. Neat. Like, I'm like, I, I know it from, I'm actually more versed in Fire Emblem. Um, but anyways, we haven't even gotten into the history of this game, which is long, and there's a lot going on. Uh, it's just almost 30 years of continuous development. We got this. <laughs> we got we this. got this. So, Jake, but you played Awakening as well, right? Yeah. Did you play? Is that the only Fire Emblem you've played? Besides Heroes on my phone. Yeah, I skipped Fates, and I... I'm like, I should have picked up Three Houses this week. I watched some Let's Plays just so I could run my mouth yeah, without I, being I was, completely embarrassed. I was holding off on Three Houses for as long as I can, trying to finish Yakuza and some, and trying mm-hmm. to get into Civ. And I was like, well, I need it for research, I guess. I guess I have to get it now. We're doing the episode. So um, another thank you to Ethan for forcing me to uh, <laughs> pick up the game because I am fucking in love with it, man. It's so good. Okay, so Fire Emblem starts... In a way that we, by the way, all of the games we're about to mention up to a point never released outside of Japan. Mm-hmm. So just know that there were remakes that we'll cover uh, later in the episode. All of these games, because at first I was like, oh, it was released for the Nintendo. Oh, it was, no, 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 it straight was the Famicom because there was no NES in Japan. Like, get it straight, right? Super Famicom after that. In the beginning, there was Nintendo, and Nintendo yes. made Hanafuda cards. And Hanafuda cards are a dumb uh, gambling thing. And then they made toys. And then they were like, I guess we can make electronic toys. And then yeah. they were like, I guess we'll make a family computer. Sure. And, oh, shit, we have to make our own game. So they decided to have uh, three different divisions, uh, R&D 1, 2, and 3. And R&D 1 were the coolest of the cool. They were led by Gunpei Yokoi. And Gunpei Yokoi was the King Dick Game Boy inventor who may or may not have been killed by mobsters <laughs> in a mysterious car accident. Oh, my God. Which we won't get into. I didn't even know about that. Yakuza. But... Under Gunpei Yokoi is where uh, Shigeru Miyamoto got his start, and the team there was just kind of a, you know, they were kind of the the, the off-kilter guys, like the, the creative bad boys, and they quickly pulled an Activision, and a bunch of them spun off and started their own development studio, independent of Nintendo, and uh, they called themselves Intelligent Systems. Yes, Intelligent Systems. It began when programmer Toru Narihiro was hired by Nintendo to port Famicom software to the standard ROM cartridge format that was being used outside of Japan on the NES. This led to a team that worked as an auxiliary program unit for Nintendo that provided system tools and hired people to program, fix, or port Nintendo-developed software. But it was uh, after a while that they really wanted to turn away from, I don't know, the boring bullshit of developing software and actually get into the fun of creating what they refer to as simulation games and their first game was famicom wars produced we, by nintendo in 1988 if you've ever played advanced wars dawn yeah, of ruin that's the uh, war groove there's like yeah it's literally the the foundational uh tactical game yeah and it, it's there are similarities there definitely between fire emblem and the wars games i think the wars games are just you know set in an army situation and not in like a feudal or medieval scenario like fire emblem way more fantasy based 
of course. But kind of amazing that running parallel are two legacy titles that continue to pump out games that people adore. Like, people are still clamoring for a new Advance Wars uh, for anything because it just is a great, great game for the Game Boy Advance. So, yeah, they uh, players take control in Famicom Wars of either the Red Star or Blue Moon Nation, and each turn, the player is given funds to build units and different facilities in their command in order to conquer the other army. Uh, it started the whole war series that I just mentioned, uh, but next on their plate would be a game called Fire Emblem, Shadow Dragon, and the Blade of Light. Spearheading this project was a man named Shozo Kaga. Yes. Kaga is the man. He, I believe, got to working for Intelligent Systems after winning a software coding contest in a magazine, which was the style at the time for a lot of these developers. Yeah, it's a lot of weird. And I mean, honestly, in Japan, we get this time and time again where people, these huge manga anime people, they ended up like winning a contest early on or almost winning a contest and that gave them their start. It was like, oh, it's like very contest based out there, which is very stressful sounding to me. Uh, in an interview with, uh, let's let's face it, our number one research website, Schmuplations. Schmuplations. There's no Schmuplations. Oh. Migustalations is the catchphrase of our daddy podcast. Right, right. Schmuplations. Right. Schmuplations. Why are they called that? Can we? Are we because we, it's translations we, of uh, interviews having to do with shoot 'em ups. We should do an episode on Schmuplations. They have a Patreon. We should support them. Yeah, we totally should support them. Uh, and it's, uh, they have two interviews, and uh, basically. Uh, Kaga talks about for, after working on a uh, Famicom Wars, which was kind of based on having like large blobs of units take up each square. So you would go to the battle screen. It was a bunch of tanks or a bunch of infantrymen or a bunch of uh, uh, helicopters fighting each other. Uh, he felt it was too static. He felt mm. there was like there wasn't any like feeling behind it. And he was uh, looking at games like Dragon Quest that really, you know, had uh, an emotional impact on the player. And he thought, how much more impactful would a strategy game be if you actually like got to know the people that you're choosing to send into war? He said, I wanted to create a game where the story and game will develop differently for each player depending on the units they use. Thus, I added the strategy elements and arrived at this hybrid system. And yes, he, he really wanted, like, he's seeing these JRPGs happen. He's, like, loving Final Fantasy and things like that. And he's like, how do I get the really fun, you know, mechanics that you get from these battle systems and mix that with the emotional connection you feel to the characters of a JRPG. And the challenge there is that you have, like, a ton of minions or a ton of, uh, you know, units or people in your army, um, whereas in a JRPG you just have, like, a few characters where you can really focus on their story and develop that out. But... He ends up uh, just trying to, you know, increase the accessibility, avoid a lot of stats and numerical data. And he also just wanted to try and create a fun gameplay experience with relatable characters by de-emphasizing the concept of a main character. He said, I don't consider Marth, which is the protagonist of the first game, to be the protagonist either. Or I guess the main character, whatever you want to say. He didn't consider him the protagonist. Except in the sense that if he dies, it's game over. It's totally fine to see the story as revolving around the particular characters that you're partial to. Also, he wanted to make it a more dramatic strategy game by adding the element of permadeath, which would be there from the very beginning. And we're not going to see a casual mode where there's no permadeath for many, many games in the series. It's, kind, it's, it's a huge staple for 
the Fire Emblem series to the point where Intelligent Systems had what like duked it out a lot with Nintendo for there to be a casual mode because Nintendo, of course, wants it to be more accessible, easier to play, more fun. But Intelligent Systems, like, no, we are very much standing behind this specific type of experience for our series. Uh, this is also the game where we're introduced to uh, the most recurring hero uh, in the Fire Emblem community. Uh, a lot of the protagonists are known as lords, quote unquote, because it's usually a character who's uh, born from royalty and is, you know, has a great destiny to lead their nation. And it's uh, Prince Marth in the anime adaptation. They translated it as Mars, which is weird. And uh, this pantsless boy, this sandaled pantsless boy, OG Marth looks nothing like uh, Marth from Smash Brothers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like it, he's a up. baby face. Again, no pants. Uh, they give him pants later in the remake, and that's a beautiful thing. And they introduce the world of uh, Arcanea, uh, the idea of uh, the holy sword, the falchion, uh, which becomes like the kind of uh, the master sword of the entire series, you know, with the big red gem in the middle and the guard. Uh, it's every Fire Emblem character has it as their like icon in Smash Brothers. The Fire Emblem appears in the game also as a shield with mystical power. The fire, The Fire Emblem... It takes many different forms throughout the series, depending on whatever the game makers. It could want be an amulet. It can it. be a birthmark. It can be a. It's uh, more most commonly it is a shield with a bunch of gems, spheres in it. But yes, in this one, it is the binding shield, and of course, it introduces the idea that at the end of every game, you got to fight a big ass dragon, no matter what. There's gonna be <laughs> dragons. Uh, about the permadeath, Kage, Kaga said, characters can't be revived once they're killed to impart a sense of gravity and seriousness. In turn, I think the result is that the more you love, the more love you have for your characters, the more rewarding the game is. And I will say, if it weren't for the permadeath, which I didn't have, I did it in casual on Birthright because I just didn't want to deal with the stress of it or the restarting of it. And way had way less of a connection to the characters than I did when I did let them permadie. It is, it is really... It's a, it's a struggle to, especially once you're given the option to go casual mode, it's very difficult to take that route. But if you do stick with it, it's incredibly rewarding. Yeah, you have to save scum instead of well, just that's the thing. restart. It, if you don't, if you allow yourself to maybe every once in a while not save scum the battle and just say, you know what? This is the way it, this person went in my story and that's what it is. It'll add a lot of depth. So it took a total of three years to make the game. And he referred to it as a doujin project, um, which is essentially a passion project made by a group of friends who share one really strong interest to have a strong vision. Um, and that, that's, I think, why this became a series, because there was just so much passion and so much energy put towards making this thing great, much like we will see way, 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 way later down the line with Awakening. Uh, it wasn't a big hit with critics, but it was a cult hit after several months due to word of mouth. Uh, Kaga said, when Fire Emblem first came out on the Famicom, the early reviews were really harsh. Every game magazine gave it pretty bad scores. There weren't really many games back then that combined the RPG and strategy simulation genres, you see. It stung to see it get so much criticism for being hard to understand or for not looking that impressive graphically. For those reasons, the reviews said it felt this like some old game from yesteryear. A half year later, though, Nakaji praised Fire Emblem in that column of his for Famitsu. That was really when things started turning around and the sales gradually picked up. I will say this. I, I don't know how quite to... I've been struggling to how to phrase on how to phrase this, but 
Uh, Fire Emblem has always been a third tier RPG franchise. Yeah. And it was always overshadowed by Dragon Warrior and Final Fantasy. Yeah. And I feel like a part of that is there's a very, there's a down the middle sincerity and kind of emotional like, nakedness to the series. Obviously, there's always going to be like Anna, the merchant, the trickster merchant will always like make meta jokes or whatever. But this is very much like operatic, like literally uh, the original commercials for Fire Emblem had to do with opera. Yeah. There's Wagnerian imagery all over the place, like literally Marth uh, in his original form, like a sandaled like, prince holding a magic sword that is like straight out of fucking Gotthard Dumerang or they whatever. Pull, they pulled a lot from classical Greco-Roman mythology for sure. Literally, if there's a woman, if there's a Valkyrie on a Pegasus and you're fighting a giant dragon, you're dealing with Wagner's shit. Even the way that the uh, battles are framed, where it's kind of uh, instead of a first person thing or kind of a uh, like kind of uh, in Final Fantasy where it's everybody facing down in little chibi forms, uh, you get basically two characters on a stage kind of doing a big flourish. Like it's almost again, it's almost like a stage play. It's very operatic, very down the middle. And that's not cool. Dragon Quest had the funny Akira Toriyama shit. It was kind of goofy. It was kind of like. Uh, it had like funny boob jokes in it. Puff puff. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, and Final Fantasy. Whatever, Jake. Was edgy <laughs> and cool and had like sci-fi shit in it. And Fire Emblem yeah. had the permadeath, had the um, chessboard, had basically a bunch of you know just Renfair shit. And I mean, and also though there is a lot like from what they were saying, there is a lot of truth about how it didn't look that great. Because they were building a game that was so complex and there was so much going on, they had to pull back on it graphically in order to put everything they could into mechanics and stuff in that very first game. And so, yeah, it definitely starts off on, like, not the best foot, right? It's definitely, like, a template for something that would become success way more successful later on in life. Sakaguchi said, uh, maker of uh, Final Fantasy... You talking about my good friend Hironobu? The Gooch! Back then, there was nothing like it, and I would say it's closer to an RPG than a simulation game. So at Square, when it came out, we bought it right away, and everyone gathered together to play and study it. I can't say it was the easiest game to pick up and play, but I felt something very special and addicting in it. And of course, I've never, I've been playing it ever since. Um, and I think that's the thing you, you, it started, especially for Nintendo, too, where it's like every other game is like trying to be. Like, pick up and play. Fun for the whole family. This is, like, everything the opposite of that. You know? When the characters die, they die. It's very complicated. There are many systems. <laughs> uh, it's it's this weird bastard child of, like, PC-style simulation games and strategy yeah. games, military games, and fun console, like, pick up and play adventure games. Well, that and, and that's where it gets to, right? Like, I feel like where it is in the first title... And why it never left Japan is because it's like they didn't quite get the recipe right. And then they really nail it with Awakening and they really nail it with um, Three Houses. So, so I mean, uh, we're talking when did the first one get made? 1990. So we're talking 1990. It is now the year 2019 when they finally per got the recipe perfectly right to be like this mass appeal thing for so many people on the Nintendo Switch. Um, known for that exact thing. So that is 20, almost 30 years. Almost 30. That's fucking crazy, man. And by the way, and we'll get to it, 
we would not have three houses without a game called Super Smash Brothers <laughs> Melee, uh, which is hilarious to me. Uh, but we'll get to that. So, uh, Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light is followed up with uh, Fire Emblem Gaiden. Gaiden. Gaiden, which means side story. We yes. follow uh, dual protagonists, uh, Alm and Celica, which kind of introduces the idea of uh, kind of intertwining chapters and larger stories where you're commanding different armies and seeing conflicts from different perspectives. Also, Kaga attempted to solve problems from the first game, like simpler map navigation, improvements to enemy AI, and the addition of the class evolution system. So that was probably one of the biggest ones that we still see in the game today. One of my favorite things is when you were like working on some dude who's just some hick from like a weird town, and he's got like a, especially the character in uh, Awakening with like Donald. The, the bucket on his head. Donald, everyone loves Donald. Everyone Ev- loves Donald. Everyone loves he's Donald. A, he has a bucket on his head and like a crappy sword. And No, it's a spear. He, I think he found it in his backyard. Yeah, and um, he sucks in the very beginning, but he has the best stat improvements every time he or levels up. it's a up. broom. I think it's technically Maybe a it's broom. a broom. And, and so you've got to like sneak him in to attack people essentially when they're on their last legs so you can just barely keep them alive through the early battles and he will be this like badass later on but you literally watch people go from like horse rider to like flying pegasus rider you know what i mean you have these massive class upgrades like oh he was a he's he was a knight now he's a paladin and he can do all this crazy like night healing stuff you know what i mean so um that that is a huge huge part of the game so not only are you feeling that great improvement every time you, like as you level up constantly by the way like at, almost every time it feels you, like almost every time you do anything you level up. you level up and so that feels good getting more powerful and more powerful but those class upgrades like boom that's like an overnight massive improvement that makes makes you feel a real good so then we enter the super famicom era and yes. kaga goes into overdrive he loves the Famic- the Super Famicom. It gives him enough space to like put in a bunch of shit. It allows him to do all sorts of complicated uh, interactions and systems. Uh, and he his team goes nuts with Fire Emblem, Mystery of the Emblem in 1994, which includes not only a remake of the first game, but a sequel to the first game called Book 2, which was such a massive undertaking that a separate development team worked on that including it has a completely new soundtrack because they need to get a second composer on board. Speaking of composing, big shout-outs to Yuka Sujiyoko. She would work on... She was literally the only composer at Intelligent, and uh, so that's how she really just uh, got hired for the project, essentially, but became synonymous with especially the earlier releases, but I believe she even worked on Awakening, uh, just a huge, huge, uh, important influence on the whole series. Uh, so big shout outs to her. Also, one thing you, we we skipped when we went over uh, Gaiden briefly is just that it's kind of gets comparisons to like Zelda two and Castlevania two because it does divert. It does that weird thing every sequel did for mm-hmm. the Nintendo or, or for the original NES, which was like the second game like was sort of like the first, but they added these weird like they added dungeon crawling and stuff to Gaiden, which like they added villages you can visit, kind of yeah, like uh, Legend of Zelda, kind of like Legend of Zelda. And so, um, Mystery of the Emblem was also a return to form for the first game it was like the super mario 3 you know of of the series even, yeah even though gaiden took place in the same uh like universe like it literally uh it, it takes place as a side story to the first game uh it's known as the valencia series whereas the uh the core 
Uh, Shadow Dragon uh, <laughs> Mystery of the Emblem takes place in the Arcanea series, which is an unofficial thing, but the fans kind of like break down which universe each game takes place in. And also, as with uh, every game in the series, as each game comes out, more attempts are being made to make it friendlier for new audience members uh, and just little tweaks here and there. Nothing major, but just trying to keep in mind, hey, we really want to get new players on board, especially because this is the first game on the Super Famicom. Again, none of this is being released outside of Japan at this point. Uh, it was also, by the way, the last uh, intended to be the last major title to take place in the continent of Arcania. And it is the first game in the series, did you mention this already, to include this support system, which is huge when it comes to the system. Fundamental. When two characters have a story-based relationship, um, such as being lovers or friends, their stats get boosted. From what I understand, this is kind of a hidden system. It's not like the core of the game. It's kind of like a nice thing if you notice it happening. Or maybe even subconsciously, you're like, oh, cool, when I put the friends together, they're like, fight better yeah yeah exactly uh, like, to, more, more subtle it's a lot more overt in the late i mean in the current games you literally get to see what the p general outcome of a fight will be before you even send someone to attack someone else you can see what the hp difference is going to be and all that kind of stuff so i mean all that stuff gets a lot more in your face and in the open as the games go on. But uh, that goes out, um, so that gets released in 1994, and it will be the best-selling game in the series up until Fire Emblem Awakening, if you can believe that. That is a massive, so all of the games after this do not sell as well as this game until we get to the 3DS and Fire Emblem Awakening, but which the, is nuts. The next game, oh my God, this was like true Fire Emblem heads People point to this. love this game, right? As like, basically Kaga at his... Fullest power. Genealogy of the Holy War. Also, by the way, killer name. Yeah. Love this name. So this was Gunpei Yokoi's last producer role in the series. Kaga wanted to get away from the Arcania uh, stuff in order to do a large-scale historical drama, and he drew from Norse and Celtic mythology in order to do this. He also wanted to make a more realistic or he also wanted to have a more realistic approach and move away from a moral or poetic justice tale and he wanted to have a, a blurred line between good and evil. And he also included elements of patricide and incest, which were not <laughs> typical subjects in games at the time, nor are they really even um, today, uh, especially for the NES. So after um, Koya Katsuyoshi left Nintendo, Kaga needed a new character designer. He had been doing the character designs at this point and brought on Mayumi Hirota as he was very impressed with her previous work. And she would end up defining the look of the characters for quite some time. Also, he added to the support system based on fan feedback with romance mechanics by having optional conversations between characters lead to relationships and offspring who, when next to each other in battle, get boosted attacks. This is such a fundamental, again, like addition to the series that would you know happen in all the later titles and be such a big part of the draw to the series and really make it stand out. Well, it's actually uh, one of the producers on Awakening, uh, Hitoshi Yamagami, actually said when making Awakening, I want to get married again. Uh, within the Fire Emblem series, uh, he felt that the mechanic that left the biggest impression on him was the marriage system in oh, Genealogy So we of actually Holy War. don't see the relationships until Awakening again after Genealogy. Uh, Interesting. There's, there's like social ranks and like S or... I 
There's like I, support system, but not romance per se. Babies. There's marriage and babies and in that, genealogy. But in that fact, is it's core. So, and by uh, the way, Sigurd is the daddy. You play as the daddy, yeah. and then as the story goes on, uh, again, part of Kaga's vision of seeing a military campaign, because wars and you know conflict take place over centuries in a lot of military history. And he wanted to capture that feeling of like the weird mistakes and actions of the past having reverberations well into the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, you know, in Awakening, they do it with a time loop. But here you're actually playing through generations. And so you start as Sigurd and then you uh, take up the mantle as his son, Seleth, Self, Seleth. I don't know. He's very pretty. He has blue hair. He's a Fire Emblem protagonist. (laughs) It's also apparently brutally hard. I bet. Uh, and I will. I just want to add to this. It's not just like that there's this fun strategy fighting. And I think the weapon triangle also got introduced this in game. In this game? Yeah. It's, That's another big one. It's like sword. I don't even, I can still never remember what beats what. It's But it's like sword beats, bow and arrow beats spear it's, beats sword. It's, it's like one uh, Okay, here's, okay. Lance beats sword because you can reach, you can hit him, you can reach him further. Gotcha. Sword beats axe because you have more reach. Right. But axe beats lance because you can chop the lance in half. I see. Oh, that's to see. I wish I had someone explained that to me. I probably would have gotten it better. I will say this too, though. I wanted to just make an addition. An arrow wait, wait, beats oh, Pegasus because it's funny to arrow. imagine someone shooting a horse in the neck out of the sky. <laughs> of course. Hi, everybody. Holden here. And as a New Yorker, I am constantly using headphones. Next time you're on a subway, look around. Everybody is using wireless headphones. That's because it's the year 2019, the year of no wires. Still, I feel like every other pair of wireless buds I've tried just don't seem to fit right. They pop out of my ear like they're trying to escape me. But not my Raycons. They fit like a glove. But of course, nobody wants to go dropping hundreds of dollars on a new pair, and that's why you need to check out Raycon earbuds because they start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market and sound just as amazing. And check this out. The company was actually founded by Ray J, and celebrities like Snoop Dogg and Cardi B are already obsessed. Raycon's E50 wireless earbuds have totally changed the game for me. They're so comfortable and so easy to take anywhere. But I think my favorite actually might be the E100 that are geared more towards workouts because I love listening to podcasts while I run, and these seem to be the only ones that stay perfectly in place the whole time. Unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems. Raycon offers their wireless earbuds for everyone in a range of fun colors and at an unbeatable price. Go to buyraycon.com slash wizard to get 15% off your order today. That's buyraycon.com slash wizard for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. If you've been eyeing a pair, now is the time to get an amazing deal. One more time, that's buyraycon.com slash wizard. Thanks, everybody. So what I was going to say about the support system was just that it's not just like a dating game added onto a strategy, tactical strategy game. It is, it's way more integrated than that. When you have people fighting next to each other and, and like making these big moves together on the battlefield, and it adds so much more to their romance outside of the, outside of the battlefield. It, it, it really does feel way more connected than it, I feel like it, we're making it sound. You know what I mean? Like, because you have all these memories of like, oh man, I'm so glad the bow and arrow lady is getting together with the horseman because bow and arrow lady just kept like having horseman's back all through that <laughs> fucking battle, man. And like, you can see, you sense it better because you see them, 
you know, gaining this experience together on the battlefield and then taking it off the battlefield and falling in love. That I love that shit. All right, so uh, we've covered four games. How many minutes are we in on the episode? Uh, 41. Shit! <laughs> Shit, god damn it! But I will Fucking say, hell! I will say, we're about to get into kind of the dark days, uh, and there's there's less to cover so up, there's up to Awakening. So there's trouble in paradise around the year 1999 as... Uh, the Nintendo Corporation has a cool new system called the Nintendo 64 mm. and uh, an amazing new add-on that they're definitely going to support and is definitely going to sell well called the N64 Disk Drive. And, of course, The Shining, uh, you know, one of the best games that's going to come out for it is a brand new Fire Emblem. Hell yeah! Except um, except Kaga uh, hates the N64 and desperately just wants to keep working on the Super Famicom even though it is now long in the tooth and no one is making games for it. Anymore. I will say really quick, we did skip over Thracia 776. No, we're doing it. Oh, oh, that's the that was supposed to be for the 64. No, okay, so this is so this is where the departure of Kaga comes in. Yeah. Kaga is at this point just obsessed with all the things he can still do with the N64. I mean, sorry, with the Super Famicom and it's telling, you know, all these Grandiose stories. He uh, a lot of the Fire Emblem games use like massive ROM cartridges, you know, uh, that kind of break the limits of what they were capable of doing on the uh, Super Famicom. But Nintendo really just wants to promote the new console because that's their thing. Yeah, and the N sixty four really isn't built for like grand JRPGs. Um, yeah, way way not. It's built for three D platformers. Yes. It's like, built for uh-huh, Super Mario 64, not Final Fantasy 7. So Thrasia 776 was supposed to come out for the N64? No. Uh, so Nintendo, like including Miyamoto himself, starts uh, pitching, you know, plugging at this new game called like uh, the Mistress of Darkness. I forgot what it's called in Japanese. And uh, Kaga. <laughs> that sounds, that's, I'm sure that's right. Uh, oh, oh, no, you were close. Maiden of Darkness. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Mine's sexier, but whatever. I know, yeah. We should write letters. You know that game that never came out? That yeah. Well, <laughs> it Maiden, of Dar- Mistress. Maiden of Darkness is actually... It's This is a weird thing. In Maiden of Darkness, they released some concept art, and the hero of that is basically Roy, but they he was called Ike. Hmm. It's just a weird fluke of history. Hmm. But Kaga really is still immersed in this world that he's built for genealogy, which, you know, I can imagine, because he literally put out two generations of military history behind mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And he wants to tell a side story, another do the Gaiden thing again. But the problem is, it's 1999, going into 2000, uh, nobody's making new Super Famicom games anymore. The games don't get released in and uh, across the world, so it's not like profitable to make anymore. And he's really dragging his heels. He is not giving any support to the N64 game. And and I mean he's he in Thracia 776 he's focusing way more on gameplay as opposed to storyline, not giving any backstory for for the characters. He is introducing even more difficult systems to work with for the player including the fatigue system. Uh, which would increase the cha- uh, the challenge of the game because if you do certain actions in battles, it causes fatigue, and if the meter goes all the way up, then that character is unplayable for the next chapter. I gotta say, 
as someone who plays Fire Emblem, as someone who just levels up their favorites and then l- watches in glee yeah. as they just bolt. Yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want too. I want to feel like a badass on the field. Uh, that's terrible. Yeah, it exactly. Feels, feels nothing, of, nothing about that sounds appealing. Uh, there the, is a bit of a fatigue system in. It has more to do with I think the way that you teach them and they learn mm. as opposed to like what they do in battle. I think you can like you can burn them out in their studies in Three Houses, but I think that's about it. But I'm not sure. There's so many fucking systems happening in three houses it's mind-numbing so we'll get there <laughs> uh kaga basically stomps his feet like plants his flag says no i'm working on three cs776 it's not even re- initially released as a nintendo game it is released on the nintendo power rom wow system which was basically you took this blank cartridge to like your local video store yes. and downloaded the game to it. Yeah, there yeah. There were like buttons on the front of it. It was Japan. That was only, only Japan, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, same as the uh, Nintendo, uh, uh, the original Famicom disc system, uh-huh. where the idea was you just have blanks and you download the games. Yes, yes. Um, Weird time it, in video games, including uh, Sega TV, which we've talked about. Yeah. All that stuff, man. So it was released on an old console after the fact that people cared about it. Not even in its own cartridge. It was the worst selling game. I think it eventually got a box release in 2000, but Kaga was so pissed off that he left and started his. Do you have like the Tiernanog story? Please let, let regale me with the, with the tale. So uh, Kaga uh, basically uh, is like, fuck this. I'm, I'm out of here. And he starts his own company called Tiernanog where he gets to work on the emblem games he wants to work on. For the PlayStation. T- because- the Tear Ring Saga, yeah. I have it as. Yeah. Did you ever get it? Did you check any of that out? Is it Well, good? here's the thing. It wasn't originally called the Tear Ring Saga. Mm. He originally made an original tactical RPG, um, which used the exact same mechanics from Fire Emblem. Mm-hmm. Of course. As for you do. the competing console, the PlayStation, with all the cool shit, which is, you know, more characters, more data, more levels, you know, all the things that a CD-ROM could do that a cartridge couldn't. And he calls his new original game Emblem Saga, ha! which makes Nintendo super pissed. And they sue the shit out of him. Uh, he wins the initial case, doesn't win the follow up and uh, ends up getting like his company ends up getting tagged for like seven hundred thousand dollars in damages. Uh, he's it basically breaks him. He makes the tearing saga. He has a few other saga games, but. You know, it's just brutal. It's just, you know, you hate to see mom and dad fight like this. Yeah, and he doesn't ever come back, right, to the to the Fire Emblem series. Really. Well, he doesn't come back to the Fire Emblem series. He, like, uh, Tearing, there's, like, two more Saga-ish games that he's working on that still hit on the same kind of uh, tactics and social link things. But uh, without the might of Nintendo behind it, they kind of fade into obscurity. Gotcha. So. So now the team at Intelligent Systems are kind of out in the wilderness uh, you know, they're working without their leader. They've still, you know, you know, no game is an island. These are still people that were just as deep in the shit as Kaga was. By the way, and while they're working on it, the game is intended to come out for a peripheral for the N64 that failed big time. Oh, made him Maiden of Darkness. Called the 64DD. Yeah, no, nobody. Bought. It was a, it was a disk drive. It was kind of like that again. It was weird. it was literally a zip drive for your N64. Yeah. That was supposed to fix the problems where you could have bigger stories and JRPG shit, but 
the disk drive system was still slower than a CD, so you actually couldn't load stuff like FMVs or any of the cool shit that the PlayStation could do, yeah. so nobody gave a fuck. It is like, it was one of those big hard sales that Miyamoto was trying to make happen and all these different people at Nintendo, and it was just a huge flop. But even Sega CD and all that stuff didn't do that hot. It was just a weird time. The they were N64 uh, disk drive makes the Sega CD look like the fucking PlayStation 2. <laughs> All right, it is they, not even. They always talk about how like bad, how hard it was to message, like what this thing was and how it worked, and it was just this huge failure. So combine those two things together: the failure of this hardware they were trying to develop the game on, and all of these internal changes that are happening within intelligence systems, and therefore the development ends up being majorly paused. And when it gets restarted in the year two thousand, it is now they are making a game for the Game Boy Advance, the first portable game in the Fire Emblem series, a series that is very synonymous with being a portable game, and it's it took 10 years for that to even happen the first time, which is hilarious. I think that's maybe more sense, of a, a North American viewpoint uh, or view of what Fire Emblem games are. When I hear Fire Emblem, I'm like, oh yeah, those handheld, those games for handheld that rule, but this is literally the first game in the series to for it to do that. There was always this uh, instinct to make this bigger than, you know, big budget Fire Emblem JRPG that could compete on the same level as like a uh, Final Fantasy, but it just the sales, the numbers weren't there to justify the expense. So there's a lot of like concept art and all sorts of cool shit for all these ideas that intelligent systems were working on, but they just couldn't commit to it. So they ended up going to the GBA, which is basically a portable Super Nintendo, so they could keep kind of doing yep. what they were already doing. Exactly. They simplify the story. They make it a clear good versus evil scenario with very basic heroes and villains, a very clear objective. And um, they also had the difficulty intentionally lowered. They're trying to appeal to wider audiences. They're trying to expand uh, on what they're doing. The character of Roy, they tried to make really appealing to younger players. Oh, as opposed to a foofy guy in a T... Marth has a tiara. Let's admit <laughs> it. He has a tiara. He, he got pants late in life. He's just a, a little prince. Meanwhile, yeah. Roy, he's a cool guy. Yeah. He's, a, you know, he's got a Durandal. Have you seen Durandal? It's a giant-ass cool sword. Way better than Falchion. Roy was in Awakening, right? Awakening? Yeah. Was Roy? was Roy an awakening? Was uh, are you talking about like those DLC missions where you could like grab people from the past? Maybe I just remember. I remember I, maybe it was somebody other than Roy, but I just remember there being a very, very like impactful death moment that happened for me in my game. <laughs> that one of the moments where I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna let him die because he died to like the final boss of the, or, or he died to like a big boss in the halfway through the game. And I thought it was Roy, but maybe it was someone else. But anyways, I, I just remember it being like a huge deal to me when it happened. But I will say, going back to the Binding Blade, sales are really good in Japan on Binding Blade. They finally decide that the sales are so good that they're going to localize the next game in the series for outside of the country. We have finally made well, wait, it 52 minutes into the first episode to a game that will actually get made in Europe and America. Wait, was there something else that for some reason uh, boosted interest in Fire Emblem in the West? Oh, I don't know, Jake. What? Smash Brothers! This is the thing. The Smash Brothers Melee, the creator of that game is a man named Masahiro Sakurai. And he, that guy, was adamant about including Marth and Roy on the roster 
for the new GameCube game, uh, Smash Brothers Melee. To the point where Roy wasn't even, like, in a game yet when he was adding him. He mm-hmm. just saw the concept art and was like, that guy's cool. We'll just make him a mirror for yeah. uh, Marth. Also, at the same time, another little nudge towards releasing, uh, localizing the game was another game that was a massive hit that we've already talked about, Advance Wars on the Game Boy Advance. Huge, huge hit. So finally, the doors are opening. Literally because a uber nerd had to have these two characters in his video game that no one in America even knew about. Do you remember at the time when Melee come out and you saw Marth and Roy on the character select screen and you're like, who the fuck? They speak in Japanese. Well, Roy, they don't, they're they're literally these two anime boys in a <laughs> in a roster where it's like Kirby, Pikachu, Captain Falcon, all, all these the, like all goobers, the and then it's like, "Hi, I'm Marth, a guy with a sword." sword. <laughs> and I'm just Also, here. he was fucking cheap as hell. I always got yeah. my ass kicked. I'm, well, Marth was like one of the top tier mains yeah. in Melee, right? And uh and then Roy, I believe too, was kind of a marketing stunt. I don't think Roy as we know him in Binding Blade, I don't think Binding Blade had come out yet. No, no, yeah. Sakurai was just working on concept art. He had, like, it was just the next, the, he knew he was the next protagonist. So that was one of those, like, advertising campaigns as well. Like, Sakurai for the loved Japanese these audience. dead fucking medieval people. So, yeah, I, it's kind of nuts. If we didn't have Super Smash Brothers Melee, we wouldn't have Three Kingdoms on the Switch today. It, it's what brought us brought us to where we are. And it's actually um, ironic that Blazing Blade, the first one to come out in America, technically it's not Roy, it's his dad, Elwood. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, uh, first of all, the reason why everyone loves, Bla- loves Blazing Blade uh, is because it's, fuck, her name is Lynn, she's got a China dress on, she's got a green ponytail, and she's a master swordswoman, and you love her because her family got brutally murdered very quickly into the game. <laughs> Everybody loves Lynn. She's a super annoying assist uh, trophy in Smash now. But Lynn, original waifu, number one sword girl. So, by the way, this game, known as Fire Emblem Reka no Ken to Japan, it's just Fire Emblem in America because no other Fire Emblem game had come out at this point. So that is the game we all know as Fire Emblem. It was showed at 2003's E3. It was set 20 years before the game that never came out in America at this point, The Binding Blade. You called it The Blazing Blade? Does it have like two titles or Uh, or was that Binding Blade is the first one in 2002, the Roy's like first appearance. Ah. Blazing Blade is... Is Rekka no Ken? Is that what Rekka no Ken I hope means? So. I hope so, too. Um, it's a lot of Japanese stuff, guys. I hope we're getting any <laughs> of it right, dude. It is, like, so dense. Uh, I will so say, dense. if you do want to learn more about the Fire Emblem franchise, uh, two YouTube channels that were invaluable and really comes from a true fan perspective. We're trying to do our best to sell you guys here, but uh, from, like, honest-to-God lifetime nerds, uh, one is the Chronicles channel, that did the tactical history yeah. of Fire Emblem, which is uh, this amazing, long, like pretty much entire chronology of the entire series. And a great channel that I found was uh, History of the Emblem by this creator named Jay. I'm trying to get a hold of her for a bonus interview because yeah. I really think her perspective is invaluable. Who does kind of more nuanced, like individual focused videos on like uh, all the different iterations of the Falchion or like cool. kind of does summations of these Japanese only games that maybe you never got a hold of. Mm-hmm. Um, Very cool. But these are two honest to God died in the wolf fans that will do a much better job explaining this than we did. So there is a bit of some dark days ahead for the series. You've got path of radiance. 
uh, which came out oh, for the Wii. Oh, you're just going to skip Sacred Stones. Good. Oh, wait. No, no, and the Sacred Stones, oh, yeah. uh, because they were both developed alongside each other. That was developed for the Game Boy Advance. So this is the first home console game since Thracia 776. I'm referring to Path of Radiance in that sense. Did you even touch Path of Radiance? Like, I don't even nope, remember this never game. Never touched it. I don't, well, I mean, I wouldn't have, when I was playing with the Wii, I didn't even know what Fire Emblem was, I don't think. Because mm-hmm. I didn't find it, you know, it, it until later after Awakening had been out for a while. So to turn a phrase, I didn't like Ike. Ah. Uh, so it was the first Fire Emblem to have 3D in-game graphics with full motion video cutscenes and voice acting. Again, another thing that is synonymous to me when it comes to Fire Emblem, like that zooming into the to the individual battle and having them like have a cool 3D cutscene where they fight each other that you'll immediately start skipping like three battles in. Or three, uh, uh, yeah, wars in, or whatever you want to call them. Uh, it also had, yeah, with the character versus uh, character battle in third person, there was a big challenge for them to switch to 3D, especially that transition that I just described uh, with that overhead view. It was also the first game with a base where characters could interact and have support conversations. Um, the main character, Ike, as you mentioned before, was the first protagonist not born from royal blood. and instead, The Grail mercenary. Instead was, yes, a dope mercenary. And every man, uh, I think there were a lot of fans, actually, who wrote in and said, hey, can we get like kind of a more down-to-earth, everyman-type protagonist that we can get behind as opposed to all these like just fancy kingdom people that, you know, like fancy royal blood people. Again, operatic. That's again, yes. part of what made Fire Emblem yes. a little bit lamer, a little bit tamer, mm-hmm. was the way it was kind of just down the middle fantasy. Radiant Dawn, the follow-up on the Wii, this one introduced Micaiah and uh, Buff Ike. Ike comes back later, and now he's swole <laughs> as shit, and that's pretty rad. Uh, and also... Uh, apparently, this is a thing fans, Soth is like this sexy thief guy who has like a bare midriff, and apparently there was a lot of uh, a different kind of awakenings for him. Uh, he was big on the internet around that. Hmm. This one is has a notorious uh, uh, reputation as being a crazy hard version of the game, but it's actually a, a mistake in translation because in Fire Emblem, there is no, before Awakening introduced casual mode, there was never a easy mode. There was always normal, hard, and lunatic modes. And when they brought <laughs> Radiant Dawn to America due to a translation error, normal was translated as easy, ah. hard was translated as normal, and lunatic was translated as hard. So <laughs> everyone who picked it up and was like, I'm I'll no pansy, on normal. I'll play on normal, yeah. got there asses kicked right right that would and honestly i've been in that situation with fire emblem games where i've gotten my ass kicked so and it is it it, it, you're you will be very quick to switch to casual to switch to an easier uh type of gameplay that's not as um you know that's that's more waifu focused uh also while this is going on you've got the sacred stones i'm not going to say a ton about that it's just that um it pulled gameplay from uh, Reckon no Ken, along with some stuff from Gaiden and the Super Famicom games. It was considered a tribute to uh, Gaiden by staff, and it was uh, barely staff was surprised to find out that they were going to be developing another game for the Game Boy Advance because it was being developed alongside Path of Radiance. Then you also have a couple of remakes done. Um, in the DS in 08, you have Shadow Dragon, uh, which is a remake of the first game in the series. It's I actually- a remake of it's specifically a remake of the SNES remake. Yeah. Oh, uh, Shadow, Shadow Dragon. Dragon and the Blade of Light, which was because there was a remake released alongside one of the uh, SNES game or Super Famicom games. It's uh, it's these two. It's uh, 
so lost in the weeds. Shadow Dragon uh, on Nintendo DS was uh, a remake of uh, <laughs> was a remake of. Hold on, I got this. Uh, was a remake of Mystery of the Emblem Book One, <laughs> and then uh, New Mystery of the Emblem was based on Book Two. Even though both of those chapter, both of those stories were just packaged together in 1994's Mystery of the Emblem. I just want to let you guys know the studio right now looks like the mailroom in the episode of Happy Sylvia. <laughs> of it's always funny. It's Carol! funny in Philadelphia, where Charlie loses his mind. That's exactly what. That's exactly what the uh, now the room looks like with just tape and paper everywhere. Uh, yeah, it's like we're solving a murder, but it's just names of Fire Emblem entries in the series so even though they have all this name recognition and even though they have all these like um you know decades of history to draw upon each of the fire emblem games are kind of just piddling out at a half million copies each. sales were declining on the series and nintendo tells intelligence systems that if they fail to sell over two hundred fifty thousand copies of the next edition of the series it would be their final fire emblem game their final fantasy if you will oh my god uh many of the staff who came in were veterans of the series such as project manager masahiro higuchi who did genealogy of the holy war producer kohei maeda who worked on the binding blade along with director jinki yokota who uh was coming fresh off of the xenoblade chronicles big name there he's gonna have a lot to do with revitalizing this whole situation there's uh, also uh, a huge high. I feel like this is one of the biggest things is um, the uh, art director, uh, Toshiyuki Kusakihara. He is brought on to bring fresh ideas to the team coming off of the very splashy looking No More Heroes on the Wii, which is and cool. One of his big things is he enlists an artist named Yusuke Kozaki. Uh-huh. Yeah. OK. Tell me more about that. I have his name, but I don't have a ton. So on. Yusuke Kozaki is uh a just a anime style artist uh you know big on pixiv and he has you know what he he fucking draws the waifu bait he draws really gotcha. appealing characters beautiful like beautiful young women and handsome young men and they have sex appeal they got like a little bit of pizzazz in them they're the kind of characters that you associate more with a dating sim than the very down-the-middle adventure stories that Fire Emblem was used to. And it's not just tits the size of the screen. There's, like, a warmth to them mm -hmm. that just makes you want to, like... There's weird, a softer like, edge. Yeah, there's just something going on. Is Even in Three Houses, I'm immediately, like, kind of falling in love with these ladies that are in my, like, cool, badass team. And you're like, but you can't necessarily, like... Put your finger on it. You know what I mean? No, it's just the it's just the work of an excellent character designer. And I feel like Kozaki's work, where he ended up putting together over 60 unique character designs for this game, really made a difference. And it honestly kind of changed the tone and made it stand out more from the pack than just kind of the... Yeah. Than the, the designs they were working with in the past. And on top of that, you just have that whole fuck it attitude because they thought that they this was it they thought this is the last game they were going to make and they decided this would be the culmination of all of the games in the fire emblem series incorporating gameplay elements from many of the games you have the marriage and children system from genealogy 100 percent. you've got the weapon triangle you have the uh side conversations from path of radiance and radiant dawn you have the uh Fucking animal people. God, remember in Awakening where they just throw in the right. fact that there's animal people? Yeah, I that's, forgot about the animal people. That's the Lagoos from, yes. um, from, uh, from I think it's, yeah, Path of Radiance has mm -hmm. the whole idea that you're fighting this army of animal people. Mm -hmm. You also have just Marth. 
you know, yeah. and and all all those. If they link it to Arcanea, and mm-hmm. the falchion is there. Uh, I think it's also from uh, lineology. The twelve like crusaders or whatever. All these like famous weapons from throughout the, throughout the series. You can get a hold of Anna. The merchant is there. Um, it's literally a love letter to twenty plus years of gaming history. Mechanics topped on top of mechanics. Also, Nintendo finally gave them a marketing budget, which is good for them. And so a fresh look, uh, completely mature mechanics, and the addition of a casual mode, which as much as it reduces the, uh, the, the, the impact of playing the game, it lets new players at least like yeah. dip their toe in the water. And this was a big point of contention between Nintendo and Intelligent Systems. It was finally added. I will say, did we mention New Mystery of the Emblem was the other remake on the DS? Uh, it was a remake of Mystery of the Emblem, uh, 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 and it was a game that we didn't see. It only came out in Japan. Uh, both of these titles. Uh, it was uh, Mystery of the Emblem was Super Famicom in '94. That also was yes, techni- we did we did do this. We did cover this. <laughs> yeah. That was technically the first game in the series to have a casual mode, but we didn't see it outside of Japan, and yeah. also was a big point of contention between Nintendo and Intelligent Systems. They had a huge team of writers create the many detailed backstories of each character. I'm telling you, these characters, you can connect with them. They're so, they gave them so much life. They gave them so much detail that was like almost well, unnecessary. From the from the knees up, they got detail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, they didn't have feet though. None of them had feet because they had so much stuff going on in the game that they were like, we can't afford to pack in uh, ankles or feet in this game. The idea was the polygons would be better spent on more expressive parts of the body, like the head and the face. Uh, but then after after that, they figured out that, like, yeah, give them feet. Uh, also, the, oh, the... Oh, and it was a 2D battle plane. Like, it had, like, a fun 8-bit style when yeah. you're moving the troops around and then had the cool 3D cutscene when you actually went and battled. And had an optional first-person viewpoint you could switch to. That was specifically made to take advantage of the 3DS's effects. By the way, 3DS not out yet when they're developing this game, and they're trying to work with the new hardware. The cutscenes in this game are amazing. Mm-hmm. And and they had decent cutscenes before, but the cutscenes in this game is like, oh, I am like legit watching an anime right now. It looks really, really good. I think good. it's Studio Anima, I think uh, is the name of the yeah, company. Yeah, for some reason I didn't write down the name. I, I thought I did. Uh, they based them, though, off of the open to Taiga uh, drama series that for inspiration that that is a historical fiction TV drama that gets broadcast in Japan and it is epic. These cutscenes are uh, the cutscenes were half the reason why I was like I want to check this game out. This is beautiful looking and they're in 3D if you want them to be, which gives it a neat effect. Even though you're probably going to turn it off again after the first like five minutes of the game it gets released in japan in 2012 and in the rest of the world in 2013 and in the first weekend of its release it sells 242,600 units almost the amount that was necessary for them to make another game in the first weekend as of december 2014 it sold over 1.9 million units becoming the best-selling fire emblem in the west and saving the series from cancellation it is a massive deal and it just an incredible accomplishment i think it is definitely one of my favorite games on the ds it made me always want to pick up the next fire emblem that's coming out and of course i did pick up fates uh fate sold even more fate sells even more it it they added new features they refined the gameplay they also had that 
weird, uncomfortable mechanic where you have to like Pet blow them. into the mic and like rub their nose. It gets a little creepy. I'm glad there they removed actually, that stuff in uh, three houses. It's there was uh, unnecessary for for uh, I never played Fates uh, any of the versions, but uh, I did read about how there was actually a lot of tension within Intelligent Systems as they had brought in a lot of new developers to uh, help produce this game because they were producing multiple versions at high fidelity for, you know, what was a Fire Emblem game. And emerging camps kind of, like, came to a head about how much, basically, fan service should be included in the game. Mm. There were people that were like, no, this is a strategy game, this isn't a waifu simulator. And there were people that are like, bro, what do you have a problem against waifus? Waifus kick ass. Look at this Celica lady. She's goth and has big old bagangos. <laughs> Celica? No, not Celica. Like Cecilia, the purple hair girl. Whatever. Oh, it's been a minute. It was pretty cool how in the game you were like Bushido, whether Hoshido or whatever. It was like ancient Japan versus mm. the most goth like, yeah, crazy. European. And they, they also attempted to give fans uh, of different types of fans what they wanted by releasing different games, which got a little complicated, I will say. Birthright was the place more for like new players to jump on board. I played Birthright. I haven't played Conquest yet. Maybe I'll go back and play it. Conquest is a little bit more the diehard. The main difference was with Birthright, it does something that I kind of appreciate because it makes me a little OP and therefore a little less stressed out every battle, which is that you can just replay a few uh, the same battle a few times and, and get a little more experience so you mm-hmm. can be better for the main story battles. Uh, whereas Conquest... You just you have to just each battle is the first time you're doing it and you're not gonna get to replay it for experience. Uh, and then Revelation was the middle ground between the two, and was DLC. Unfortunately, that also meant that if you really wanted to play all the way through and get the final true ending of the game, you had to spend another twenty bucks on the Revelation DLC, which is a bit unfortunate because you just kind of want the whole experience if you buy a full price game. Uh, and for the first time. There was the option for the main character to marry a character of the same sex in order to reflect the diversity of their player base, is what they said. That had been a big point of contention for the series. Will they have same-sex relationship? It still wasn't, and it still isn't, like, as strongly integrated as it should be, like... Like, especially in three houses, if you want to be a gay dude, you only have one guy you can marry. At least there's more options for the lesbian side. I don't even know if they let you marry. They let you S-rank. S-rank. Well, I think there's, there's like, romantic talk and everything. I mean, there's no babies in this game, so you don't have to worry about that stuff in terms of, like, the, yeah, the aspect of, like, I feel like in the older games, like, oh, you must be married to have a child, right? Or whatever, but, you know, you don't necessarily have to deal with that aspect. I haven't gotten there yet. Obviously, it's something that happens later in the game, but I am going to be hopefully marrying uh, Edgelord, unless, can I get Bernadette? Can Bernadette be, is I that so. is that a marriage option? Oh, I don't know, because you're playing as uh, big old Bagango's uh, Byleth. Yeah. Yes. Um, Dude, I have to look that up. If I can be with Bernadette, um, that really makes my willies go wild. We're wearing the same hat over <laughs> I understand what's happening. It's okay. <laughs> I accept your feelings. So before we get to three houses, though, I will say... Um, There's Tokyo Mirage Sessions. You also have Echoes, which was a remake of Gaiden, uh, first released on the Famicom back in 92, and it included a lot of the newer Fire Emblem mechanics. Shadows of Valencia. Smoothed out storyline, blah, 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 blah. I People really it. like it. People like it. People I, like I will it. definitely go check that out. Especially, I want to check that out, and I want to check out the remake of Binding Blade just to see what it was like in the beginning, you know? Um, But, of course, development began in 2015 after the completion of Fates on a game 
called Three Houses. Um, Echoes actually put the game on hold, during which time they, and I'm glad it did. So if it wasn't for Echoes, which slowed them up, they wouldn't have uh, found out about the Switch mm. and completely changed development off of the 3DS onto the Switch, which I think was a great step for them. They wanted to make the biggest and best game in the series, and to do so, they brought on Koei Tecmo Games for help. You love Koei Tecmo Games, uh, Jake. Yeah. They made the Dynasty, Dynasty Warriors series. As, they made Fire Emblem Warriors. Yes, uh, as well as the Ninja Gaiden games. Um, they're also known for that. They were already co- collaborating on that uh, Fire Emblem Warriors game. Did you play that? I haven't played Fire Emblem. I'm I loving Hyrule Warriors, mm. but uh, honestly, after now that I actually know who half these characters are, yeah, I might be, be more able fun to, do to go back. Fire Emblem Warriors. I have been playing Fire Emblem Heroes, mm. which is the if we want to be technical, <laughs> I guess we have to talk about Fire Emblem. It's the best selling version. <laughs> like, okay, yes, two million people played. I it was free. I mean, pay for? No, no, no. I mean, you pay Micro- for orbs to yeah, yeah. summon your wives. Um, <laughs> summon my wife? Not that wife. I, I want a better want, wife. I just want our listeners to know we're both pervs, but like Jake is clearly the pervier of the two. Okay, that's all. That's all I'm saying to our audience right now. Hold in. Just because you do not acknowledge the <laughs> truth and beauty of the 2D woman. Does not mean I am some kind of social outcast. I I'm not gonna say I haven't rubbed it out to a couple of two <laughs> bazongos, but I mean, listen to this guy right now. He's paid, buying orbs to you know what I mean. He's probably spending more time on these fake ladies than his own fiance. Her name's Felicia. She's a maid, <laughs> oh my and God. she loves me. She looks like such a porn maid. That's awful. <laughs> They're all porn maids. <laughs> but uh. Literally a billion people have downloaded it. It's yeah, that's such crazy. a huge deal. Uh, Weirdly enough, by the way, I bet I would have played it at this point, but I just, my phone is oddly like the one place I just don't play video games uh, anymore at all. It features, uh, you know, a classic like crossover, low stakes, cross between worlds portal mechanic that explains why all these heroes and all these settings from all the different games are kind of combined. It's actually a really good way to shotgun. 30 years of history into oh, your brain. Yeah. And uh, even though the, most of the people literally just play the gotcha mechanics so they can, like, p- you know, figure out which they release special edition waifus and characters. Uh, they have major events and you just pump money and orbs into this thing to get the cool. They literally hired a murderer's row of, like, cute girl illustrators yeah. to do the artwork. Are for this there game. battles? Yes. But it's a very, very simplified version of the Fire Emblem thing. Like, uh, I think it's only 16 by 16 squares per level. And they kind of want you to win those, right? So that you can keep spending money on the waifus? Yeah. uh, If you get a good waifu or husbando, uh, you can, like, plow through. If you get a five-star Roy, you can just plow through everybody without having to even take damage. But it does kind of it, it hits that Fire Emblem itch on the go. There's all these conversation options, all these little story exchanges. Uh, literally, oh god, they really want you to spend orbs. I haven't spent money on orbs yet. Good, thank you. Let um, me know though when you do, okay? Because it's just going to be a moment. All right. Uh, for me. And it's it serves as this kind of funnel where there's a separate subreddit for Fire Emblem heroes where people trade like uh, you know different uh, I you know speculation and tactics for how to get, like, the best bang for your buck. And, like, it's more... It can be, during a big event, more active than the Fire Emblem subreddit. Mm-hmm. But it's basically, if you if you at least heard of Marth, 
you pick it up and you're like, oh, this is pretty neat. Right. Oh, now I want to buy a real Fire Emblem right, game. Right, right, right. And people so who play real Fire Emblem yeah, games yeah. who are like, oh, I'm so in love with Dorothea that I must own her on my phone, <laughs> then download Fire Emblem Heroes. Yikes. It feeds into each other and it is, you can't not acknowledge it. It is a huge part of the ecosystem. Well, going back to Three Houses, I'm not quite finished covering it. Uh, and going back to Koei Tecmo Games, if you notice, I don't, you've watched some uh, Let's Plays of it. Yeah. If you notice now when they cut to like two people fighting, there's this like army of people in the shot with them also interacting. It, it gives it much fuller sense. There's also battalions and all that stuff, which I think is what that is. And I'm still learning about battalions. Like, I just got introduced to battalions last night. And I was like, are you serious? There's, like, a whole other fucking thing I have to learn. But uh, that is, you can thank a lot, uh, give thanks a lot to Koei Tecmo Games because they were the ones that implemented that and because they are the ones that understand how to create, like, a big mass army look um, mm -hmm. with their Dynasty Warriors games. Voice recording for this game took three months and was way more than had ever been recorded before. It's kind of amazing, and the voice acting is great. I'm not. I'm doing the American. I don't know if you do, if you can do the Japanese option, but it's really strong. Uh, the school sections of the game, uh, the uh, the school sections and the time jump that happens. By the way, spoiler alert. I guess even though it's in the trailer, there's a time jump. They were heavily inspired by Genealogy of the Holy War. Uh, the influence of the story actually came from the historical novel Romance of the Three Kingdoms about the turbulent end of the Han Dynasty into the Three Kingdom Dynasty. Which, uh, I, Dynasty Warriors, is literally based on the well, same thing. Well, and I think it was actually the influence of uh, Koei Tecmo Games that brought that in. Uh, I will throw it again, I, I keep harping on this connection, but uh, the Wagnerian influence... The idea of this holy empire, this republic, and this kingdom all kind of like shuffling and exchanging power on this continent. And then when you factor in the name, there's a lot of Germanic shit happening in here as well. If you look into the history of like, uh, yeah, the Germanic League and Bavaria and all this uh -huh. shit, it very much matches up to what's happening in Three Houses. They also wanted a new look for the series. They brought in uh, Chinatsu Kurahara for character designs and illustrations, who is known for Uta no Prince, uh, Prince Sama and uh, also the game Tokyo Twilight Ghost Hunters. And another character designer they brought on was Kazuma Koda, who's known for Bayonetta 2 and Near Aut Automata, which have like crazy over-the-top character designs. And, uh, yeah, the school setting just allows them to shoot for the moon with the RPG elements, including social aspects that greatly mirror the Persona series, as we mentioned before, with all the calendar and skill points. Jake, I can't talk about Fire Emblem anymore. I have to move on to something else in my life. <sighs> Fire Emblem, on a simulation. It still exists. <laughs> How is this game still a game that everyone now is magically playing in the U.S. and screaming about Fire Emblem? I love it. I'm so happy that this happened. I'm so happy Three Houses exists. I hope they keep making games for both portable and console and that this legacy stays alive because it's a really cool, unique game style that doesn't exist, at least not very well, anywhere else. My closing thought is that um, the Fire Emblem games are very sincere it's a world where everyone is beautiful, everyone is young, uh, and they're all experiencing the, tra the a very romantic version of the uh, of of the drama of war, uh, and it's it's uh, just very sincere. It's very down the middle. Even though they kind of made it more appealing and they did a lot of things to give it a more mass appeal, but it was always second fiddle to more cooler 
franchises. It was, it was never, you know, it was always, Marth is not a cool, is not Cloud. Marth is not uh, Dragon Ball Z looking guys from Dragon Quest. But, you know, the world got a little more fucked up. The world got a little harder. The world got a little messier. And sometimes maybe you just need a down the middle fantasy. Maybe you just need a place where everything is beautiful, where the nation's armies are uh, commanded not by like grizzled old men, but idealistic, beautiful young people and how they forge the future ahead of them uh, while falling in love and getting brutally stabbed in the neck by a dragon lancer because you forgot that axes are bad against aerial units and you were just like, fuck. I could have said it better myself. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today, everybody. If you'd like to follow us further, weekly bonus episodes for just $5 a month uh, on our Patreon. Check it out. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. It is literally the thing that keeps us alive. Absolutely fundamental to our survival. And uh, also you can find me on twitch.tv forward slash holdnatorsho. Jake! Leave a review on iTunes. It's a great way to get people to notice us and discover the show. If you're ever in a conversation and people are like, oh, you know any good podcasts? You know, bring us up. Uh, Let people know. It's through... I hit the microphone. I'm too enthusiastic. It's through fans like you and listeners that you know we can grow and make this thing a bigger deal and you'll get bragging rights if you're like yeah i was into them back during the fucking fire emblem episode dude uh follow me on twitter at best jake young and until next time keep on whizzing and never stop bruising this show is made possible by listeners like you thanks to our ad sponsors you can support our shows by supporting them For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.